We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, what's up, Hornets fans? Welcome in to another episode of BuzzBeat. Uh, we're the go-to Charlotte Hornets podcast for deep analysis. And you can find us on Blue on the Blue Wire Network. Just search BuzzBeat and or Blue Wire on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app. On the last episode, we have Ben Swain on to discuss the big three prospects from Duke. Uh, I missed that episode, but I heard it went great, and I listened to it, and I thought it was, you know, I thought it was awesome. Ben knows Duke uh, as well as anybody. So, on today's episode, we are all going to spend time talking about our favorite prospects for the Hornets in the range of number twelve. We're going to talk about some of Kimba's remarks in Tokyo, which were rather significant, as the NBA sent him over there to be the representative and the ambassador for the NBA for what I think was the game one watch party for the finals. Um, and we're also going to talk about really some, some salary cap situations for the Hornets, assuming Kimba resigns, which are very sticky, and then maybe some possible uh, trades, uh, because the Hornets are going to have to make a trade to get off some money if Kimba does resign. So on that note, BG, you doing good? I'm hanging in there, man. Uh, this is As I was telling you guys before the recording, this has been uh, a bit of a day, but I'm fresh out of the endodontist office off a of root canal, and I'm ready to talk uh, some uh, some Hornets here. But no, this is a great time of the year, man. I love having the NBA Finals on. It's nice having like two high-caliber teams, and there's like days off in between the games, so you can sort of like think about the matchups and, and chew on what's happening a little bit. And then in between there's, there's plenty of draft stuff to go over. So this is like, uh, honestly, I think this is like the best time or one of the better times of the year. If you're, if you're an NBA and NBA fan, and if you like the draft and stuff, this is like a fun, fun time. There's a little more spare time to, to think about things as opposed to sort of like the hustle and bustle of when there's, you know, 30 NBA teams playing at the same time, plus all the college prospects you got to keep up with. So there's a little more room for breathing area here, which is nice. Awesome. Richie, the same, doing well? Doing well. You know, this last week of school has not been as bad as a root canal, but it's, it's almost as bad trying to babysit <laughs> these kids and run out the clock. So as, as you're listening to this, uh, it's going to be my last day of teaching uh, prior to the summer. So uh, I'm right. excited about that. Way to go, and, Richie. Yes, way to go. I have survived <laughs> another year of teaching. Awesome. Well, summer vacation, that's exciting stuff. Brian, get better soon. But let's jump in and let's start yeah. with talking about Kimball Walker. He did go over to Tokyo, as I said, uh, to represent the NBA for the finals watch party. All went well in the athletic had a great interview with him. Kimball, a little bit more transparent with his comments prior to free agency than he told us he would be, uh, I think, in the past. And so I was a little surprised about, you know, again, how transparent he actually was. The, the thing that I took away that I thought that was most important from that conversation is, number one, reiterating that Charlotte is where he would like to be first and foremost. Mm-hmm. And number two, that the fifth year that Charlotte can offer – you know, Kimball was he, he was rather open about how important that fifth year is. I think that's I mean, he, he keeps throwing us little clues that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, look, I want to be back with the Hornets. That it, it is what it is. I don't know how else to say it. I mean, I feel like that's what he's trying to portray at this point. 
So that's a good sign, but it means a lot of things for Mitch Kupchak (laughs) and his job between now and July 1. All right, so let's go ahead and assume that Kimba Walker would re-sign with Charlotte, and uh, and let's assume he he gets 100% of what he's eligible to get uh, in that first year, which is about $37.8 million. Um, Bridgie, I think you brought this up on Twitter um, earlier this week maybe that you know we could give him that 8% raise in year one, and then they could actually um, either flatten out or it could go down you know, after that, which I think is smart and I think is something that, that Charlotte should aim for you know, in this whole situation. So anyways, let's pretend like Kevin resigns, all right? So this is the hypothetical that I, that I played when I kind of plugged in these numbers. I said, first and foremost, Tony Parker has a trigger date for July the 4th. We'll go ahead and waive him. So considering that, we need a third point guard. We will pick up. Uh, we will re-sign Shelvin back to the veterans minimum. So that's about $1.6 million. Um, Frank Kaminsky, you, you know, the market dries up on you. You get squeezed. We'll take you back for $4.9 million. That's your qualifying offer. This calculates and adds the 12th pick in the draft, which is $3.7 million starting in the first year. Uh, what else am I missing here? And then, obviously, Bismack you know, opts into his player option. MKG opts into his player option. So you put all that in, and that's a- in uh, in this in this hypothetical. Are they just like selling second round picks too, or are we like is this is this considered in that calculus at all? Not not considered just because second round picks okay. are not guaranteed contracts. So you know, right? It, exactly. That's what I thought. Yeah. I thought just for this, just, yeah, just no, to make, put question. that out there. Good, real quick. Yeah, good, yeah, good yeah. question. Uh, no, no, but, yeah. but you know, we're all Hornets fans, so we understand that's going to happen. So. Um, right, right, right. <laughs> uh, we just assume that's that's going to be a fact. Right. So, anyways, that number equals out to about one hundred forty-five point six million dollars. What that means is, with with the tax being one hundred thirty-two million projected, Hornets got to cut about thirteen and a half million dollars in salary to get under the tax, assuming Kimball Walker resigns. So we've kind—I mean, if you've been paying attention at all, you know this. Um, I, you know. It's a problem, obviously. I've seen things on Twitter of smart people that I respect saying, you know what, I think it's just time for the Hornets to just start the season in the tax, make a trade at the deadline to get under, and and, and let's just see what happens just because we have to re-sign Kimball Walker and he wants to come back. And then I've seen other people saying, well, MJ's never done that, um, and he's not going to do that. He will not start the season in the tax, which is how I feel. So there's going to be a trade either before the draft, which we saw one today, really the first one with Brooklyn and Atlanta, or there'll be one on draft night to, to shed salary. I don't, I don't see other, any other way around this, and that's why I think this 12th pick is in play in, in a trade. But, Brian, you said you, you had a hypothetical trade before we jumped on here to shed salary, so I'm interested yeah. in that. Uh, hold on, hold on. This one was – I should have clarified. The one that was this, – the deal I was looking at was not like a, a move to shed salary. It was sort of like a one of these moves to like – if to like sort of like a qual like essentially acquire like another like quasi second player so yeah i'll I'll, i should have clarified that beforehand my apologies Well, before we jump to that let's get some reaction from you guys about kimba's comments in tokyo i mean because i because they did surprise me yeah i think the fact that he stated that uh, the fifth year is very important to him, clearly the only team that can offer him five years, whether it's the Supermax or whether it's the regular Max, uh, is Charlotte. So I think uh, there's another indication that he wants to stay here in Charlotte, or at least he's saying that he wants to, uh, maybe for money purposes. Um, and just, I, I think that's a good sign, but also with that comes a lot of money on our end. And I'd be a little bit hesitant to offer him you know, even the even the deal that you proposed, Spencer. You know, starting off at that thirty-seven point eight million dollars, just to me, is just way too much. And I know that he's been criminally underpaid here in Charlotte, but I would not go that route. I, I think definitely I would want a salary that is uh, decreasing over time, or at least flatlining a little bit. But um, man, I mean, I think you know he's putting the ball in Mitch Kupchak's court and saying, hey. I'd like five years. That's what I want. You guys are the only ones that can offer us this. And, you know, so Charlotte is in a tough situation because I feel like they've put all their eggs in, in Kimball Walker's basket. But uh, it, it's just a tough situation to be in. And the situation and the scenario that you laid out, Spencer, uh, does require us to get off of salary. And I'm like you. I don't think MJ is going to go into the tax, especially not for a team like this. 
Yeah, I mean, again, it's sort of important to note on these things. You know, you can start that first year can start at less than thirty five percent of the salary cap. I mean, you know, right? I, I feel like you've got to you've got to do that, and obviously, you can have lower than eight percent annual raises or even decreases, including you could even have, I guess, some uh, uh, having non guaranteed at the end of the contract too. But again, if that fifth year is super important, as he's sort of stressing. Then that I mean, some of these things that we just laid out that could make this deal like slightly more palatable on the margins might be non-starters with Kemba. Um, you know, it's, it is sort of interesting with these max with these five-year max deals. Like they can end up being way less than the two hundred twenty-one million uh-huh. that that he is uh, that he's um, that he is that he could potentially sign up for. I, I mean, I. <laughs> I'm sort of intrigued by the idea of maybe starting the season in the, you know, in the, in the tax and trying to, you know, figure out a way to like wiggle under it. It's just, they keep kicking the can down, like further down the street to, to finally make a decision on like what this roster is going to, it's, it just would be funny to see them even bring back Kemba after we've been talking for the last 18 months of, what should this team do? Should they trade them? Should they not trade them? If they're going to trade them, what can they get for them? You know, should they rebuild? And it would be amazing to see them bring back Kemba, stay over the tax, and then try to find a way to, to slide under. It, it would just be really finding a ways to procrastinate on putting off their problems, which is essentially is like, what's the future direction of this franchise? For me, it's man, it's just tough to, to think of an obvious way to, to shed salary in a way that's going to not sacrifice something else. I, I don't know what you do here, guys. I, I'll be honest with you because I feel like a lot of these things that you can do on the margins that might help you, they, they might be non-starters with Kemba. But I did think it was interesting to see him, a guy that's you know in, a, in four weeks is going to be a, up for free agency, being so vocal uh, about and upfront about wanting to yeah. stay in Charlotte and, and what is important to him that fifth year, even sort of had it mapped out like y'all be 33 or 34 or whatever when that fifth year approaches. So I need to be thinking about that now. Um, I think it's, I think it's, it just seems like such a well-played maneuver by Kemba to be upfront and honest. And also, uh, you know, it's a bit of a, a balls in your court, Charlotte, you know, what are you, what are you going to do? Um, but it just, it, it puts the franchise in such a weird spot going forward with, with this, with this deal. It's just, I don't know, man. It's just tough to figure out what the best play for Charlotte is. Well, I mean, there's a few non-guaranteed contracts in the league that that a lot of teams that expect to be players in free agency in free agency this summer will be kind of targeting. There's not a lot of dumping ground. Atlanta was one of them. You saw Brooklyn dump salary there today. Sacramento. I guess that I guess that J.R. Smith deal, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that is the most valuable yeah. trade contract in the league right now and it's worth you know it's 14.7 million dollars is his deal so you know that i mean that could match up with almost match up with biombo's deal um but the question there is how competitive is the market to to get that jr smith contract you know what i mean so like does biz or teams going to play hardball and say like is Cleveland's market two second round picks? I think it's probably better than that. I think it's. I think most people would say it's a it's a mid first round pick. So then, when you consider that, is what it's going to take to get a get the J.R. Smith contract. You have to boil it down to what are the most desperate teams to get off money. And I think Charlotte immediately rises to the top um, of of those group of teams. So I think that's where they actually are a player to acquire the J.R. Smith contract for Bismack Biombo and the twelfth pick. Right, like that, it's done. If that's enough for Cleveland, I I think you have to do that deal if your plans are to re-sign Kimball Walker. I mean, getting off of, and I don't have it right in front of me what what Smith's owed next year. I think it's something around two and a half to three million dollars after you waive whatever's not guaranteed. But you have to do that deal because then you can re-sign Kimball Walker to the max and you can stand at the tax and. Here's why I would not start the season in the tax if I was in in Jordan won't. He, he just won't. Um, but with it's just like when you don't trade Kimball Walker with a year and a half left on his deal. Every day that goes by, the value goes away in Kimball Walker. And so the equivalent to a situation like this with Charlotte, if you start the season in the tax and you know you have to get off money by the deadline, you are uh, the vultures are circling. Right. Like you, you're going to pay 
120 million, you know, pennies, thousands of pennies on the dollar to get off what mm-hmm. you want to, because everyone knows what you're, what you're trying to do. Um, that is, that is also known in the off season, I would say, but everyone else is trying to do so yeah. many different moves that it makes it more possible. But when you're the, one of the only teams in the league, who's like, look, somebody help us out. We got to get off money. We can't pay the tax. Well, you're going to pay an, an incredible premium. And that's why you don't start the season in the tax. I'll, I'll say, okay, one thing real quickly. Smith's partial guarantee is for $3.87 million next year. So you can clear close to $12 million basically with JR in terms of what's partially guaranteed for next so, season. So, so you're close, and then you eat, and then you could waive Willie. Half, you know, I think yeah, his right. dates in October, yeah. now you're under. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's just like all this stuff is just – man, it's frustrating because – and everyone, you guys know this. I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here, but this is this is straight irresponsible. I'm sorry, no this is no question. This is so irresponsible. It's it's like it borders on organizational malpractice as far as an NBA team goes because you're basically saying, how can we how can we like lower our ceiling for the future, make things more difficult, so that we can be like at best like average right now. That is, it's just, if that's the case, like if, if they're so committed to that, then, then, then Jordan should be willing to pay the tax. Like that should be, that should be his, like his punishment, you know, like that should be, that should be the thing that he has to do. You can't have it both ways. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it's frustrating to see, to like, to, to look at the possible deals that Charlotte can do to either try to acquire a quasi fake number two option or to shed salary, all of which involve them unloading future assets just so they can like maybe win 40 games next season. Like if they, they bring Kemba back on a, on a five-year contract, like it's just, it's just frustrating because this is bad business. Um, well, and that's and, like, uh, to your point, Brian, real quick, sorry to, to cut in. Yeah, you're, quick, good. you're good. Go for but it. Like, this is why I think that either the Hornets are like, cause I've seen a lot of this on Twitter and some of it makes sense to me, but I, I just don't think it's, it's, it's very, I shouldn't, it's not, I shouldn't say it's not smart. It just doesn't make sense to me. That the Hornets should resign Kimball Walker, and then it should just all be about summer twenty twenty one. That's fine, but just 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 understand th- this path that Brian's talking about. It means there's two more years of it where we're just like yeah. barely ducking the tax, right, or finding yeah. a way to shed salary, or just like living on the fringes to be a forty win team. Here's what I think: I think you either resign Kimball Walker, okay, and then barely duck the tax just because it was so important to keep Kimball Walker around, which is kind of what we're already talking about. Like, I get that. Uh-huh. Or you make a deal for a Bradley Beal or, I don't know, name your you know fringe all-star that could really move the needle, yeah. and you 100% commit going, in, going into the tax. You don't just pay the tax because you, you want to just keep one guy. Like, the financials on just paying the tax so you can keep Kimball Walker actually – is, yeah, what is it supposed to accomplish? To like maybe sway someone to come well, to Charlotte it later on? I don't, because, because the reason you're paying Kim Walker that much is because of the fi- – literally is because of the financials. Literally is because it's what it's doing for season tickets, what it's doing for merchandise, yeah. what it, like the, the chance to host two playoff games. Well, But, yeah, if you're paying $15 million in tax, all that's a moot point. And I think, you know, Brian brought up this point being like a non-starter by giving Kimba a discount. I also think it should be a non-starter for the front office of Charlotte to go in the tax. Um, so I think it works both ways in that situation. So, yeah, it's going to be definitely financially maneuvering that needs to go on if you do offer him close to that Supermax, especially that first year. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult. And I know you made a mention of this, Spencer, about, you know, Hornets selling off those second-round picks. But to me... I would I would draft players at all three picks just to make sure that we have you know low salary. Yeah, I, I agree with you because you can convert them into two ways. You got two two way slots, and you could you could waive the rights on the two two way guys you have now. If you're not satisfied, you can send them to Greensboro. That's the reason you started a farm league mm-hmm. system there. Like I agree with you, Richie. I don't think they should sell second round picks. It's just been common practice for this team in the past. But look, they're in a bad spot, and I just. I don't know. I just kind of wanted to address, Brian, you just remind me, I just want to address this idea of 2021. Like it's the, you know, it's the pie in the sky or the oasis you yeah. know, down the end of the, the, the desert for the Hornets. 
folks, it's not. Like, I'm sorry. You can't just burn two more years of salary. You can't let that go up in flames and, and just think that, like, yeah, it's just two years. Doesn't make any sense to me. It, and also, Kemba's going to be Kemba's going to be heading into the 2021 2022 season. Kemba's going to be 31 right. years old with you know 150 more you know plus or minus 10 you know basketball games on his odometer. I talked about this with you guys. I think it was like two or three weeks ago when we did a we did we were talking about uh, Kemba and like he's missed just six regular season games the last four seasons, just six of them. And one of those was because he, he chose to sit out after the team was mathematically eliminated. It's amazing that he's missed just five games because of like personal or health reasons the last four years. And considering all the mileage, almost 800 miles that he's put on the court the last four seasons, and that doesn't even account for the fact that he's you know been like a 30 close to 30 percent usage guy you know in that time span as well. All the pick and rolls he runs, all the defense he runs. No matter what, even if this guy stays healthy, you're paying for the down slope, like the back end of his prime, and then the regression. And you, and this is a guy that, yeah, he's been healthy the last four years, but he had injuries early in his career. It becomes even more of a risk in terms of health. You know, yeah, he might stay, he might stay healthy the entire time, but man, it is just so risky to bring this guy back. And and I feel, and I hate that I have to like mention this in there, but it feels like you have to at least preface this stuff with this. With this message, when you're talking about Kemba, and, and Spencer, I've heard you say this too. Like, I, I don't, and Richie as well. None of us want to see Kemba go. He's he's everyone's favorite player. He's an absolute joy to watch. He's what you would want every star in the NBA to be. No one wants to see him go. But you're trying to talk about what's the what's the best way forward for this franchise, and it's just it's tough to see how you can juggle all of these things at the same time. Yeah, I, I don't think you can, Brian. I mean, I think that's the point we've, we've kind of been trying to make for a while here. I mean, it's, it's really fun to talk about hypotheticals and, you know, yeah, but what if they did this and then, and then this and, and wave this guy and traded, traded this to this captain mm-hmm. and his team. It's like, guys, we're on year three of this. Okay. Just to remind you. Yeah. And, the point that we're trying to make is that it, it's not working. We're not actually moving the needle. We're just trying to like barely duck this this arbitrary number every single year. Um, so I think where the Hornets are really going to find themselves in a difficult situation if they're serious about resigning Kimball Walker and Kimball Walker is serious about coming back to Charlotte, which I, I think are both true, is that Richie – Again, going back to the point you made on Twitter, you know they don't have to give him the full two twenty one. They can get a bargain on this, which is what they try, should have tried to do with the Batum deal. Pay him as much as they can up front, as much as he's eligible for up front. But actually, you know, front load the contract, get a deal on the back end, so it's more tradable, right? Well, that that we should have done that with Batum, and we, we'd be talking about some different things here if we would have. But like with Kimba, age twenty nine season, to me, he's going to walk. It's just me. It's just my opinion here. He's going to walk out of the room if you tell him, "Yeah, we're only we're only going to twenty five million. Yeah, yeah we're going we're going to give you thirty million this first year." He's like, "What do you like this? This is literally yeah. my prime season. I've improved the last three seasons, and you're trying to get another bargain? No, like I, I'll work with you on the back end of the deal. You can flatten it in the third year, and it can actually decrease in the last two. Like I'm good with that, but you're paying me a hundred percent of what I'm worth and eligible for." This first season. And yeah. I would actually, yeah. like, I know Kim is not all about money, but his agent really does. Like, putting the Hornets aside here, his agent really does need to make sure he goes into the room with the Hornets and, and demands that. I mean, he deserves it to me. Let's uh, let's let's also note Kemba's career earnings up to this point, like a little shy of sixty million. And that includes forty eight million over the last four years on that contract. So, like, yeah, this is his first time to get like paid. And um, that's why it's so jarring when you see the differences between like the hypothetical five-year supermax and what teams with cap space like the you know the Knicks or the Nets or the Lakers or whomever like what they can offer with 141. I mean the difference is 80 million, which is more than this guy's made in his career by by like a significant margin. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be fascinating, and we're, we're, we're closing in on it, boys. We're less than a month away from. All this drama. I think we can all agree because I, I would actually like to get y'all's opinions on this real quick. 
if the Hornets will get the first meeting July one, or excuse me, was it six p.m. is when the moratorium? It's now June thirtieth. Yeah. yeah, June thirtieth, yeah. six p.m. Yep. Excuse me. Um, so they'll get the six oh one p.m. meeting. If he leaves that room without signing a deal, he never comes back to Charlotte, right? I think so. Yeah, and I hate to say this, would that be the worst thing in the world, though? <laughs> no, it would not. It, would not, it, would, it wouldn't it would be not. the worst thing in the world. It would literally force the Hornets to do the thing that they should have done 18 months ago. Like that's what's so fr- like it would force them to behave like a responsible franchise. You know what I mean? Um, even if they would be doing something in bad form to even get to that place, like it, and, it's and, just and, it, it's it's maddening that they've backed themselves into this situation and they could set themselves up for future failures by just trying to like accommodate the short term need of re-signing Kemba. And what's so bad with that? You know, like real quick revisionist history. Like the Hornets have done this. They did it once when they hired Rich Show. He tore it all down. Okay, it, it came back with you know we traded Stephen Jackson, traded Gerald Wallace. You know, we came back when we signed out Jefferson and I don't know if it was 12 or 13, whatever the year was, free agency, slowly built that team back up, and then it popped in 15, right? And we won 48 games, and we came within a quarter or, yeah, probably a half of beating the Heat in the first round. And all of a sudden, I mean, you're just – it's like you're the most unlucky team yeah. maybe that's not talked about of the decade when the cap spike hits and you just experience really the fruits of a rebuild with a 48-win team. And now three, two key players from that team are free agents, and you got to re-sign them. And if we really want to boil it down all to one thing, that's, that's what it came down to. We've talked about that a million times. But, like, the Hornets did a pretty – Bobcats, Hornets, did yeah. a pretty good job last time they rebuilt. They did. They and they got lucky with the financials of the league. Yeah. Yeah, they did. And that's why, you know? So. Yeah. But, but and then like, and they could do it again, and they could do it for even, they could do an even more thorough rebuild this time, too. I mean, maybe, maybe that hypothetical isn't plausible under an MJ ownership, but like, what this team actually needs, what they actually need is they need to start from scratch and they got to rebuild it. And in any situation that involves them keeping Kemba, it, like I, there's just no real way to there's no real way to do it. You know, stretching Biombo doesn't do you enough. You know, it just there's 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 no such you know way bye bye to Jeremy Lamb too. Like there's just no reasonable way to do this. And like you know, Malik Monk's not ready to to soak up those the minutes that would you know or the possessions that Jeremy Lamb would leave behind. Maybe Dwayne Bacon is, but it's like you just at some point you got to look in the mirror and be like, what's the right, what's like the, what's the smartest thing for us to do right now, as opposed to like the thing that's going to give us a little bit of feel good, you know? And, um, and unfortunately I just don't see them going that route. It seems like they're going to go one of these other ways. Um, And yeah, that involves, you know, some sort of, some sort of restructuring of that five-year max, which I guess like they can get that number down way off the 220 line, right? Like that can end up getting closer to like, you know, 160 or something like that too. But it's just, it's, you know, unlike that might be a total deal breaker too. So when you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain. That's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. No matter what you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, your own website. ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface. ShipStation helps you get orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keep your customers happy. And right now, Blue Wire listeners can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use promo code BLUE. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card info. ShipStation works with all the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, and even Amazon Fulfillment. So you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice for online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in BLUE. That's ShipStation.com, then enter promo code BLUE. ShipStation.com, make ship happen. Alright guys, we're back with another announcement with Blue Wire teaming up with Harry's to make sure you guys are shaving comfortably. Uh, I cannot 
you know, recommend this product enough, go to harrys.com slash blue wire to save $10 on a value trial set. This includes a five blade razor, rich lathering shave gel, and that travel blade cover. You get all that just for $3 shipped right to your door. Harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders, they were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Join the 10 million, like myself, who have tried Harry's and claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. But I doubt it. I think you'll love it. Again, make sure you go to harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your razor for $3. All right. Well, let's let's get on to a, a rosier topic. Um, let's talk about the draft. Uh, Potentially, because they might be trading this pick, too. Yeah, so, like, you know, I was going like, to say it. I, I was going to say that, Brian, I resisted, and you had to say it. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. No, that's okay. Um, but, but, yeah, let, let's talk about some of our favorite prospects. Um, Richie, let's start with you, because – you have a prospect that you really like, and this is probably the farthest away from each other on different sides of the fence we've, we've stood on the draft because he's, he's on the bottom of my list. But I want you, I want you to make your case for your, for your prospect because he is intriguing. I, he just scares the crap out of me. Right. I mean, he scares the crap out of me, too, so I'm not going to deny that fact. Um, first off, I have not dug as deep as you guys have. Clearly, I've tried to focus as much as I can on these prospects around that 12 spot that the Hornets are selecting in. I really haven't gone too deep into others, but uh, the one prospect that has stuck out to me uh, the most, and like Spencer said, there's a lot of risk attached to this player, is Kevin Porter Jr. at a USC. Um, 6'6", shooting guard, total NBA frame build, you know, 218 pounds. Uh, he's got a pretty decent wingspan, plus three of 6'9", but the issues that come with him, I'll start with the negatives. He had a small sample size, mainly because of some injury, but also some character concerns. Um, he was suspended from USC um, indefinitely. Um, so some of these numbers, uh, again, they're not as low as like Garland or Bobo, but he definitely has a smaller sample size when it comes to all of this. So I think the maturity issues with, on the negative side, you definitely have to play a role in deciding whether this guy can fit within your culture, your coaching staff, to get this guy, you know, mature because this guy could potentially flame out of the league uh, if he doesn't get those things straightened out. But the one thing, or the multiple things that intrigue me about this prospect, is the fact that he does have a high ceiling. He's one of the few players that definitely has like this high variance. But he might be one of the players that we talk about today that has the highest ceiling. Uh, but again, he probably has the lowest floor. He is a player that can handle the ball, create for himself. I think that's his biggest asset. And for the Hornets, who don't have a lot of players that can create for themselves outside of maybe Kimball Walker or Dwayne Bacon or, or Jeremy Lamb to an extent, a lesser extent, this is a player that can use his step back, use his athleticism to create his shot. He shot the ball very well from behind the arc, shooting 41%. He did have a turnover issue uh, with the 20.8 turnover rate. He does have a little bit of a wonky release, too, as well. It's pretty low. But what I, what really intrigues me about this guy is just the fact that he can create off the dribble. Uh, he's athletic. He can get to the rim, and he can shoot the ball. Um, again, he does scare a lot of people off, and he's one of those players that could go at 12, uh, but I could also see him slipping a little bit. So what, what are your thoughts on Kevin Porter Jr.? Um, from the little bit that I looked at, you know, he intrigues me, but like I said, he, he definitely is um, – there's a lot of risk involved. But just real quickly, I want to get my thoughts, and I know Brian will have more in-depth stuff than I will. But what scares me the most about Porter is just I don't, I just don't know. We've talked about this with other prospects in the past, Bowl Bowl specifically. I'm not sure he really knows how to play the game, and I, I've just, you know, I, I've been doing this draft stuff going on ten years now. It's my, it's really is my favorite thing. And, and to be honest, I, I haven't been as plugged in this year as I as I have probably the, the other nine. But I know this. I'd rather have something that I, I know what it's going to be like than have something and and just like the idea of what it could be. Like I've just, I've just right. learned that with prospects, you know, and I think this is the prototypical draft where, you know, I just think if you're in the Hornet spot, 
you really don't have anything to show for if you don't have Kimball Walker and maybe not even if you do because you have no ability to improve. And I just think if you're going to keep this draft pick, you have to draft something that you know you can use. And I, I just don't think Kevin Porter is that. Um, I mean, I wouldn't draft him if I was other teams either just because, I, again, I don't think he knows how to play the game. Richie, you're right, though. He does. He, he is a creator. He is a twitchy basketball player. He is an athlete. He's just one of those guys you watch play basketball and he jumps off the screen at you. He does. Yeah. Like, and he's one of the few in this draft class that does that. That's intriguing. I just think in the Hornets situation, they can't afford to swing and miss once again. They can't. They can't. They just have nothing. They have so little to show for. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, there is. Yeah, he has a he has an interesting ceiling. Like he's a super explosive athlete. Not that long, right? But like powerful athlete. Um, and he has that step back game to him that that's intriguing and that's you know in vogue now and, and everyone's looking for guys that can sh- sh- create shots and, and have that step back game and he's got that you know I don't I don't know how well it will translate but it, it's certainly a thing that he had in his bag at uh, at Southern Cal this year um, off ball he's really like you know just he's just sort of happy to just like stand in the corner while like less talented players are pounding the rock like. If you watch USC play, you're going to see a lot of Derek Thornton, you know, turning the ball over. Um, not the most uh, intriguing prospect to track and stuff like that. Obviously, the the the, the upside is is appealing, especially when compared to some of the other prospects that I like a little bit more that they're going to be there at twelve. Like Porter has the like the you squint hard enough and you can see. Oh, maybe is, is this a guy that can score 15, 18 points per game on the NBA? 41% shooting on threes, you know, uh, on 68 attempts. That's it's okay. He didn't get to the line a ton. He only shot 52% from the line. That's crazy to me. Yeah, like I know. A 52% free throw shooter, but a 41% three-point shooter. It's, it's crazy. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, and I mean, his effective shooting in, in, eight, in Pac-12 games under under 51%, just pretty bad. True shooting under 51%. Overall this year, shot 69% of the rim. It's pretty good. 46% of those looks were assisted on. Um, you know, it's just 33 of, of 46. So the, the, all the sample sizes with him are low. Yeah. You know, I'm intrigued by Porter. I think he could be a pretty good defender. Like there's some like two way activity to him, but there's just, it's like a, I just can't quite get a, get all the way in on this guy. Um, I'm not even super worried about the character stuff, although I think that that factors into it. I think he was in not a great fit at Southern Cal this year too which I think shouldn't be held against him. And, and that makes them a little bit tougher to evaluate. And I love the explosiveness and, and the shot creation is fun. And the, perhaps the, the fact that he could be a two way player is intriguing too. But um, yeah, I, I you know, KPJ is not a stay away from me, but I, I just think the Hornets can do better. Like I'm kind of with Spencer. Um, I know some people are, are if look at the draft and they say, just like, I want upside. Like, I just want young upside. And that's really, really smart people that, that feel that way, too. I still think you can get value. Like, I still think there's value to drafting guys that are 20 years old, 21, and can play basketball. You know, like, I think uh, that, that was why I like the Bridges pick last year. And, and I'm, I'm all in for finding guys that maybe don't have superstar potential but can be pieces going forward. And I think there are some better possibilities available at 12, um, though I wouldn't hate the Porter Jr. pick for the Hornets. Let me just make one more comment about Jr. And, I, and Spencer, you make a good point about, you know, the Hornets can't afford to draft another player that you just don't know what you're going to get out of them. And you want to make sure that you're getting a solid player that brings a lot of things to the NBA level that you know are going to translate right away and at the very least can be a solid role player. And, you know, Porter Jr. could very well be some, a player that's out of the league soon. But I think the fact that I'm a Hornets fan and I'm stuck in mediocrity, I see Porter Jr. as a player that can attain this high, high ceiling. And that's what intrigues me as maybe that's a bad way to look at it. But that's just that's just how I do. No, I mean, look, that that's totally a way to look at it. I, I don't I don't think you're wrong by any stretch of the imagination by looking at it that way. And in a lot of ways, you're probably right. But, you know, I just to me, the Hornets, it's they got to build one brick at a time. I mean, that's just kind of like my mindset about what's going to happen. Like even if guys like Miles Bridges and P.J. Washington or or whoever else Brian's going to talk about, even if these guys don't have like superstar all star potential, like they are assets. Like they are guys mm-hmm. that can produce on the basketball floor and they are guys that can be 
involved in a trade and have some value down the road and it can help you maneuver your way to being a worthwhile franchise. Whereas a guy like Porter, where it's just like, well, he becomes this and we're just super thrilled or he becomes nothing, you know? So I just, I just tend to kind of go the other direction. All right. So let's talk, I'm, I'm going to throw out mine real quick and I want to be pretty vast with it or excuse me, the opposite of vast. I want to be pretty vague with it because I know we're crunched on time. Um, PJ Washington, I did a thread on Busby with, uh, about him last week. He's my favorite guy for the Hornets at 12. Um, his numbers, I don't think, jump off at you in terms of rebounds, blocks, steals, um, you know, wind share, stuff like that. Like Brandon Clark, DeAndre Hunter, um, you know, guys like that are going to jump off more of the page. But the amount of improvement that Washington had from his freshman year at Kentucky to his sophomore year, where he took about 23s in his freshman year at Kentucky. Can't remember what the percentage was he made. Doesn't really matter with that small of a sample. He took almost 80 his second year, his sophomore year, and made almost 43%. Like, and he shoots such an easy ball. Like it's it's really a pleasure to watch a guy his size that hadn't, you know, didn't take any of his freshman year shoot the ball. It's very fluid. Um I think he has a, a, a not really a dribble game, but I think he can attack a closeout and make a play. Uh, he's got a seven, two and a half wingspan on a six, eight body. I think that's a positive sign. He's one of these guys where a coach on a playoff team, and I, I don't care if I'm a playoff team or not. I just want these kind of guys on my team. He's one of those guys where he, like, I seriously think the Warriors could use him right now. Right, because he's six eight with a seven two wingspan, can shoot the three ball, which they don't have any of those guys right now outside of the obvious names. Um, you know, can guard multiple positions, can make a tough play, can can stay in front of some a smaller guy, can rebound the basketball, can make a block. Like he just checks a lot of boxes, and he has some offensive potential. You know, like that's why I favor Washington over a guy like Brandon Clark. Who you look at his defensive numbers, you're like, holy crap, man, these are like unprecedented. For college numbers, like this, this guy's gonna. Even though he has almost a neutral wingspan, he's gonna be a factor defensively. But he might be a zero offensively. Like Washington, to me, can not be quite as impactful as, impactful as a guy like Clark on defense. But offensively, there's just a lot to build with, and he has those physical tools where I know I can plug him into a lot of different places defensively. So that's really why Washington's my favorite prospect for the Hornets at twelve. Yeah, I like I like PJ a lot. I mean, he and Grant Williamson are both in this like these guys could go out in this category of guys who could go out and help big. They could just stay on the floor in a playoff game now. It feels like, and you want guys like that where it's like you're going to be uh, at least a, a slight net positive on both ends of the court. Not maybe not as rookies, right? But like eventually, as you grow into players in the NBA, uh, Washington seventy percent effective shooting on spot up, no dribble jumpers. Um, he's a good post passer like Grant Williams too, right? Like, like has some skill there too, some craft, which is nice. He shot uh, 45% on two point attempts away from the basket. And um, yeah, like he, he measured out all right and stuff like that too. And, and I'm sort of intrigued by his defensive upside. I think he can be pretty physical against drives. I think he's, you know, I think he's pretty strong. I, I think like Williams as well, there's perhaps some redundancy with Miles Bridges, and, and I think I saw um, uh, Spencer, you and in, in in, in Greg Handel's Messiah, who was a great, great Hornets fan, talking about this on Twitter this week. Like, is there a little redundancy? I kind of see that at least at this position as a strength. Like, you just can't have you just can't have enough like big wings that can guard positions and you know maybe offer a little bit of stretch too. It's not like having two centers, you know, like it, there's some you, it's okay having some overlap here and I, I think it almost can it, if you squint and you know turn the you know flip the board upside down it could even be a strength in terms of of switching defenses and how you how you want to attack and forcing teams to match up different ways. Um yeah, I like his face up game. It feels like like a like similar to Hunters but maybe it's even a little faster, a little more compact. Um, Spencer, do you have any thoughts on his defense specifically? Washington's, um, yeah, no, there, there's definitely room for improvement there. You know, his footwork is sloppy. Um, mm-hmm. you know, he's good around the rim though. You know, I think he's actually, I think he actually has the potential to be a better shot blocker than even his numbers suggest, which is yeah. kind of weird to say going from college to the NBA, but I, I kind of feel like that. But yeah, I, I just, <clears throat> I see an athlete that has a, like, I think I made this mention on Twitter, maybe in the same thread with Hamilton Messiah you're talking about. Like, 
excuse me, I think I see an athlete who, like Miles Bridges, is pretty athletic, not as nuclear as Miles, but there's really no excuse for his sloppy footwork and, and lack mm-hmm. of attention to detail when guarding the ball and sometimes off the ball. But to, to me, that stuff is fixable. It just is. Like, yeah. And that's why I'm just – I don't worry as much about that stuff. It's a concern, but it's not a, It's not like a red – it's not a – I'm marking this guy off, you know? And uh, and I think we'll find out the same thing with Miles. He'll be okay defensively down the road. Yeah, I think so too. I think Miles will tighten up a little bit and, and things will be good. And it should be like, – like you said with PJ, like this dude got better across the board, not just in his three-point shooting. I mean everything got better, right? Like – Usage rate jumped and his efficiency climbed too. He went from a 21% usage guy to 25 and a half. And with that, true shooting jumped from 56 to 59. Effective shooting from 53 to 57. Um, you know, free throw percentage went up too. Block rate went up. Uh, turnover rate went down. Like assist rate went up. Like he got, this dude got better across the board in a way that that feels significant you know yeah and i think that i think that's something that i i like guys that when they i like the two and done guys it's that donovan mitchell mole i'm not comparing pj to donovan in terms of player at all but it's like when mitchell came back in 2016 from his freshman to sophomore year you saw him make a big jump and it felt yeah. significant well yeah. and i feel this feels a little similar to that too you know different players but similar jump i've started to look at nba prospects a little bit like like baseball prospects sometimes you hear in baseball you're three tool and five tool right so like those are your mm-hmm. like major prospects I, I like washington when i look at his game from top to bottom and I, you know you, you go through the stats where does he impact the game Okay, he impacts a little bit here, 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 here. And you look down, you're like, this guy impacts the game in like five different ways fairly yeah. consistently. Not in an elite level anywhere, but he played for Kentucky, was asked really to play center his freshman year. His sophomore mm-hmm. year, he was able to transition to mainly power forward. But now he's coming to the NBA where he, he's probably going to be able to play some small forward. Like, I think there's yeah. something to unlock here. You know, it's just yeah. one of those things. He impacts the games, the game in enough ways already that we know about the data shows us. But he, but I just think like six eight, two twenty seven two wingspan. There's some mm-hmm. winning potential there. I've said that all along with BJ. So I, I don't know. I just think he's a little bit diamond the rough guy. Close to a nine foot standing reach, which which we all like too, right? And it should be noted, like this is a guy that was almost always playing with another big on the court. Uh, uh, the um, Reed Travis or or EJ Montgomery or Nick Richards or whatever, and also too like it, you know I don't think Ashton Hagens is like a bad college player, but like let's be real, that guy's not like an NBA prospect at point guard, at least not yet. And so I, I think I just think like he didn't he didn't even get to play with a guy that was like a great offensive engine, and he never got to do it. Granted, you know he might you know he'll he'll be playing maybe perhaps on the wing in the NBA, but like. It just he never got to see like a totally spread court and never got to play with some dude that was going to give him consistent like room service finishes. And yet he was still like a really, really efficient offensive player, even though the the usage also went up like a, a good deal along with the uh, you know, basically played about the same in terms of minutes. I think maybe one of the questions with him was like motor and effort. And I think you could I think those I think there's some overlap, but I, I get the differences there, too. The guy also played like on a bum, like came back pretty quickly on a bum foot when he didn't have to, right? And and he played in the NCAA tournament. And he was good. And I think like maybe that doesn't matter at all. Maybe we should just totally ignore that fact. But I think you that means you need to ignore at least some of the, um, you, you know, some of the the like the concerns perhaps with effort or motor, basically. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, he was in a boot, you know, and I don't think anybody thought he was he was really going to be able to give much. And like you said, he was he was pretty dang good, you know, when he came back. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I, you know, I don't know. It, 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 look, to be honest with you, Grant Williams, Rory Hachimura, um, PJ Washington, even DeAndre Hunter to an extent. And we talked about this a few episodes ago. You're kind of drawing straws, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. the the difference between these players is is pretty razor thin to me. And I keep looking at it and looking back at it and looking at the stats and trying to say, well, what am I missing with one of these guys? And like, I, I kind of think they're all going to be pretty good pro players. Mm-hmm. And, and the the one thing I I'm like I'm with you on all those dudes. I'm a little iffy on on Hachimura. I think he's the one guy you and I sort of 
yeah, I just I'm 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 at, like for me he's he's at twelve. I'm a little, we can get we should get into this more some other time. I think he's a little bit of a stay away at twelve. Just yeah. I worry about his defensive upside. But but your point like I. I, I don't like hate him as a prospect the way you know some people do. I'm just a little, I'm a little iffy. One other thing I throw in there about PJ Washington, I mentioned his post passing earlier. I think he's pretty good passing while he attacks closeouts too. Like sort of like again, DeAndre Hunter showed a little, some showed some flashes of that this year. I think PJ does too. Like he knows where the shooter is in the opposite corner, drop off guys. Like I, I know that's something small and maybe not like a, a super sexy thing to mention, but it's just one more sort of like functional attribute of this guy that makes sense and would be has at least some sort of baseline value in the NBA that I think is appreciated too. Sure. That's a good point. Real good point. All right. Well, look, that was, that was some good draft talk and some good Kemba talk. And we packed a lot into that episode and I think we kept it at a respectable uh, amount of minutes here. Maybe not. Richie will have to relatively call me later, but, uh, <laughs> but no, Hey, thanks for joining us again tonight. Um, so what we're trying to do for draft night is we're trying to figure out what our coverage is going to look like that night right now. If you have suggestions, please send us, uh, you know, send those to us. But we're going to have some kind of coverage live that night as we usually do. If it's not live, we'll do a podcast shortly after. Um, but, you know, you know that we'll, we'll bring you guys coverage that night. So tune into that. And then, of course, we'll have at least one more episode before the June 20 draft. All right. So thanks for being back in. We'll see you on the next episode. Good morning. Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, a company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So... At four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable. It's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast.